0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 389, and the quote of the day is, to live a creative life, we must lose our fear of being wrong. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on everybody, Nick Rafini here and this is another episode of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope you're doing well and I am extremely, extremely excited about this conversation today and before we get into it, I want to remind you that you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash mix, M-I-X, and sign up for Nick's Monday Mix. That is an email that I send out every Monday. That has the latest podcast release, but it also has other things that I'm checking out that week, new music that I'm listening to, documentaries that I'm watching, anything that I think is cool, and I think that you'll dig as well. Is in that Nick's Monday mix. Sometimes there's a lot of stuff, sometimes there's a little, but every Monday you get an email, and you can sign up for that. Just go to drummersresource.com forward slash mix m i x. And now the conversation. This is with Bill Bruford and. This conversation is a little different because we don't talk much about his backstory, and I'm going to fill you in briefly about his backstory. He's the original drummer for Yes, he was in Genesis, played for a super group called UK, Played in King Crimson, and... He's had a lot of interviews, so there's been there's a ton of information that you can find out about him and about his career and all that sort of stuff. But he retired and has since gone into the psychology and gone into the academic side of drumming in in creativity and understanding really how creativity works with the uh, the expert drummer. He has a new book. It's actually called Uncharted: Creativity and the Expert Drummer. So we talk about the, the path of creativity. And this is a really eye opening conversation. It's a really inspiring conversation. It's a thought provoking conversation. And I just cannot believe that I got Bill Bruford on the podcast. And this is an amazing, amazing conversation that you're probably going to want to grab a notebook because I think you're going to want to take some notes. So if you want to find out more about him, I suggest Googling Bill and go to his website. You can read all about it. There's, like I said, there's a ton of interviews out there about him in terms of his playing and all that stuff so this is a bit of a different interview and i'm just extremely honored to have him and without further ado let's get into it with the legendary bill bruford
1: bill bruford how are you today I'm doing just fine. In the miracle of science, I'm in I'm in uh, I'm in the Surrey countryside in the UK, and you are in Los Angeles. I'm in the Bay Area,
0: so I'm uh, in the Bay Area. Same Bay. thing though. It's still it's still amazing science that we can we can <laughs> chat all the amazing. way around the world. It's free and uh, and most of the time it works. You know. Yep. Indeed. Sometimes it gets a little it gets a little wonky, but most of the time uh, it works. First of all, I want to I want to publicly thank you for for doing this, for agreeing to do this. I know that you've done thousands of interviews uh, throughout your career, and so we sort of talked beforehand. We don't need to go over your backstory, and not maybe not everyone knows your entire backstory, but I will talk about that before we get into this interview, and they can look it up and they can find all that information, everything that you did with Yes and King Crimson and UK and all that stuff. That, yep. but now. Uh, you sort of you've taken a change in your career. You retired um, in in two thousand. What year did you retire? Two thousand two thousand and nine. Two
1: thousand
0: nine. I, I kept thinking two thousand six. Retired, yeah.
1: Which means I haven't played drums really for nine years now, which is amazing. And it is, isn't it?
0: but so why why was it? Was it? Did you you retired for performing publicly? But did you retire from playing? Like, or do you just not play at all?
1: I don't play at all. That, that's true. I, I played, you know, pretty pretty hard at it for 41 years Mm -hmm. and um well two things really i could say is that after 41 years of doing almost anything uh almost anybody wants a change i think Uh and there are other things i wanted to do and this seemed like a very appropriate time to do it uh one of which was kind of step back out of performance and and consider and reflect upon what performance was and uh see if i could make any kind of a contribution to what drummers do to the understanding of creativity and performance in the drummer's world. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really what I wanted to do. It's just taken me rather a long time to to have a look at that particular area, which is a huge area of of thought and right. academia.
0: What happens when you wake up in the morning and you say, "I want to play drums," or does that never happen?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, you really? have to bear in mind there are some people on this planet who don't actually say that. I but agree. I know. I, I do have a lot of. A lot of difficulty explaining to people that to me it was perfectly okay to put down the drumsticks. I was, I was all right with that. I really had said everything I wanted to say, perfectly seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing it took me a little while to figure out, uh, you know, to, to, because I'm asked this a lot. So, so how could I answer this in one sentence? And the best I can come up with is the reason I gave up drumming is because I couldn't hear what came next. Explain. Explain that to me. I don't mean the next bar of the music. I don't mean remembering music. I I couldn't understand, and I've always felt I had a handle on the next styles, the next fashions, what the band could do, what the next tune could be, what my next part on my next tune would be, where my next move in the music industry would go. In other words, I I sort of knew it all, but around 41 years, I couldn't see… Uh, where I fitted into it. I couldn't hear what came next. And you can Hmm. take that at the level of the musical phrase, if you like, or more importantly to me, really, the the conceptual thinking on a drum kit.
0: Right. And where culturally, stylistically, things were going, you didn't, you were, I don't want to say confused, you were unsure of where you fit in with that.
1: That's interesting. Exactly so. Exactly so. I I think part of it was a sense that so much has been done. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, also partly a sense that you'll get when you're 68 as well, right? which is the, the young guys are tremendous, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely great. You know, and yeah. I have, you know, I, I kind of, um, look at the young guys and say, well, you know, I don't really know how to add to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got that nailed, you've got it covered. What, what, you know, where's the gap for, um, a Bruford in here. Right. So that's the way I looked at it. And not everybody looks at drums the same way, but I wanted to find out what had made me stop. Mm -hmm. And in one sentence, it's because I couldn't hear what came next. That makes
0: sense. It's interesting that you mentioned the younger kids now, because even, you know, I was born in, I was born in 81, but so, but in the, in the late eighties, I feel like there just weren't players who were playing like some of the players are playing now in terms of, in terms of the, chops and in terms of just the the raw speed and power behind the kit now i think that there were i think there were some players but now it's almost turn it's almost like a sport
1: now would you would uh, you agree yeah.
0: with that or would you disagree with
1: uh, that? i i would and i think there's a danger in that i think it's a kind of aberrant behavior mm-hmm. that uh, somehow <clears throat> popular music is not really accommodating what it is that drummers can do Drummers, therefore, have this strange behavioral pattern where they go off and play to other drummers <laughs> right? <laughs> Ex- extremely fast and, and, and present to themselves what they can do, which is tremendous. But somehow, they're becoming a bit disconnected from the idea of popular music performance. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. If, you, if you wanted to say 40 years ago that a good drummer was, uh, I don't know, let's say Ringo Starr, he had the ear of the listening audience. Mm-hmm. So he and George Martin did things with drums and they connected to a popular music audience who loved that. Now, uh, I fear there's a gap between the stratospherically talented, thin, small cream on top of the drummer world and the large, large body of most drummers who provide pretty much what has already been done and already is expected. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. It's an honorable piece of work, but it, but it, it it's a big gap between, you know, it's clear blue water between the inventors and the kind of uh, steady guys at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And what I'm
0: hearing too, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there, it seems like there's a lot of people who are learning all of these things that they're actually never going to be able to use. They'll never be able to use them in, in like you said, in popular music or or on a record or for 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 anything because it's so yes. it's so stratospherically mm. impressive like you said that it, there's nowhere to there's, there's just nowhere to put it
1: yeah it doesn't it doesn't register in in the sort of popular music language no one's really getting it right and it can't really be used in that context so what then is of use to younger drummers well maybe i can my book can contribute here in the sense of trying to figure out what it is that drummers do and why they do it typically and how they can maybe even be happier doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's partly where creativity kicks in. So do you think
0: that it should be, it sh- uh, because I, I don't think that you think it should be ignored. There should be some sort of, for lack of better words, chop development or, 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 you know, technique. And you need, you need all of these things as a means, as a means to an end. And, and you want to make sure that you have headroom in your playing, but where do you think the, where do you think the disconnect is happening? Where do you think that people are, are skewing too heavily on the, let's call it the sport of drumming and less heavily on the creativity side and the musicality side?
1: Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, Where is, where is the disjunction? Um, I don't know. It's, it's the audience sort of wants what it had yesterday which is fine. And what it had yesterday generally is a very agreeable, you know, two and four beat or four beats to the bar pretty straight ahead. Mm -hmm. And there is an enormous imperative upon record producers to produce that. And that Mm -hmm. is what drumming is. You know, drumming isn't anything other than that really. And it's become very homogenized. In other words, when I was a kid there were probably, you know, a few analyzed and I haven't done this work, but somebody right now will be doing it. Top 10 chart hits, you know, over the last forty years or so, you would find a narrowing of metrical options.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean, in my day, you learned a six-eight, even a twelve-eight. You know, maybe something in three-four. You know, a four-four backbeat thing, and you and you were away. You know, you had three or four things that you could play there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, even those things are rare. You know, I mean, a three-four or six-eight is kind of rare, or or a twelve-eight, a very slow twelve-eight thing. Mm-hmm. Even those things are rare these days. So there's a kind of homogenization of tempo and of metrical stuff. Mm -hmm. And of sonic stuff. Of the timbrel stuff, too, is also very homogenized now. You know, everything has to be kind of the same dynamic range. Right, right. A difficult world, in other words, for drummers to function in.
0: Sure. For some reason, it makes me think of when I remember watching an interview with you where you were saying that you... You felt like, even though that you were playing all these crazy time signatures, you felt like you were just playing rock, and you felt like you were, you know, you were a rock band. You were in a rock band, even though that you were playing all these different time signatures. And I just, I recently had a conversation with. Are you familiar with the band Fish?
2: A uh, little bit. Okay, a so, little bit.
0: So John Fishman is their drummer, and we were talking about uh-huh. uh, the idea of whether you're playing in different time signatures or whether you're playing a lot of intricate stuff there still has to be that what he called it is, is that snap. It still has to have, it has to be implied or it has, it has to either be there or it has to be implied. Uh, but it has, it has to have that snap. It has to have that, that pocket in that groove. Um, was that, was that something that you were conscious of through your playing career that whether you're playing, you know, in, in 35, eight or whatever it is,
1: <laughs> you know, uh, Were you conscious of – go ahead. You'll be astonished to hear, really, that when I was a kid, we didn't talk about groove at all. I mean, groove was an American word that came into my thinking, you know, I I mean, after I've been playing five or six years, in the mid-70s somewhere, Hmm. probably, you know, with Picaro and and some of those guys, I guess. Right. Uh, And some Steve Gadd stuff when we became aware of him. So we didn't start with that at all, really. In fact, I'm so old that – You know, tempo was under the the governance of the drummer, and if it needed to get a little bit faster, it did. And if it needed to slow up a bit, it did, because that made the music sound better. Mm -hmm. If that made the sanction, a kind of orchestral approach to time. So there would be pushing and pulling within a tune, and that was totally fine. Absolutely. And you wouldn't want to set a a metronome through yeses close to the edge, even though the thing sold gazillions of records. You know, it's… it's not metronomic and we never thought it should be mm-hmm. and there are plenty of people who are still a bit uncomfortable with that whole that whole idea of some sort of um, oscilloscopic prurience some sort of uh, computer-based perfection perfection not being a word that holds uh, any interest for me me neither <laughs>
0: I always said they should take the word out of the dictionary because it doesn't exist. Yeah,
1: it's, it doesn't it doesn't really figure in music, which is full of, of what they sometimes call participatory discrepancies. The scrapings and the bits and bobs in between people. My symbol isn't exactly with the bass player's thing, but it doesn't particularly matter because it has that particular feel to it that's nice. You know? Right, right. And I'm not sure how we got onto that, sorry. No, I think oh, that yes, that's... So we were just talking about groove. Yeah, yeah, so that came later. I Well, I think that... Commenting on what you
0: said earlier about how things are not metronomically sound and and you know, I, and I'm obviously not the first person to say this, but it's a conversation. And sometimes the conversation gets heated or sometimes it you talk faster or sometimes you talk slower. and it can be the same conversation and and the things can push and pull. and that's to me, that's more organic. That's more natural. that is more you know impulsive and and creative uh, on on the stage or in the in the studio or whatever it is. yeah. And once you start stripping those things out, I, I mean, how fun would it be if you and I were sitting here having a conversation talking like robots?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Horrific.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it yeah. may be horrific as it is listening to me talk, but if I, was, it, if I sounded it, like it, a robot.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? How, you know, we drummers, you know, when, when the click and Roger Lynn's drum machine appeared in the mid-70s, you know, we suddenly learned to play in time and then... We're given the most impossible drum parts to emulate. Could we play as well as the computer only better? And then we learn how to do that. And, and lots of drummers are very, very good at that. And now programmers are learning how to sound like human beings. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so it's turned full circle. Um, and the relationship between science and the human is, is an ever-ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, how drummers fit into that, uh, how they may fit into it, and how they may, might make it work and might make it matter, and how they might make meaning out of both of those things is really the topic of my book. Mhm. Mhm.
0: I think there is a place for for both of that. I mean, you you know, for you for years, you played with with electronics, you played with acoustics, and putting those two things together, I think that there is definitely a place for that. Um, as I'm guessing, you do too, because you did it. Um, but but somehow maintaining that, that human element has always, been, has always been paramount, I think. Yeah,
1: and, uh, indeed. Indeed. The, you know, how, how, does the, how does the individual fit into um, currently quite a difficult kind of drum culture or drum ecology or drum environment where drummers are supposed to do certain things and they're, they're very constrained by prior expectations of others? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guitarist expects you to do one thing. Your mother-in-law expects you to do another thing. And the producer definitely wants you to do something else. Right. And somehow you're expected to, to to fit into that without even saying, hey, I'd like to do it this way. Now, when I grew up, that's all I ever did. I only ever said to everybody else, hey, I think we should do it this way. I mm-hmm. um, probably irritated the shit out of a lot of people. <laughs> but but no, I, that's what I thought creativity was. I thought it was interacting, into reacting with other guys and saying, well, I like that, but what about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of thought that's what it was. And it took a while to figure out that not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants to be, be with people like that. And in fact, you know, popular music is, creativity is not always welcome in, in popular music. It's not always necessary. Right. There's a lot of yes men, so to speak. Mm. Yeah.
0: And you know, you've been notorious for. Well, I don't know if "notorious" is the right word, but you're well known for for being not only a, a creative, but also speaking your mind about creativity and and saying, "No, I, this is the way that I I think we should do it," or or putting in your two cents to say, you know, maybe we should try it this way, or let's try, you know, let's let's try to modulate this or whatever it is. Yeah, um, indeed.
1: And I think what I'm trying to do when I'm saying that is, is I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the performance meaningful for myself. Right. Very selfish, actually. Really? I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is the purpose of this? Mm-hmm. You know, anybody could do this. Why don't we do it that way? So right. we sound a little different so that we contribute something. hmm That, that kind of thing.
0: That's interesting that you say that it was, it was being selfish because I was going to ask, is it a matter of, is it a matter of arguing the point because you want to be right? Or you're
1: arguing the point because you want it to be right for the music. Well, that's a subtle distinction and and a good one. I think, well, when I'm arguing that point, but it's been a while, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm arguing that point, it's because I, I wanted it to work, the, the band and the music and the piece of music we're working on, uh, to be as good as possible, to be as interesting as possible. Mm-hmm. To have as many people in the band agree that it is as good as possible. I think that's it, really. Right. But would you be willing to,
0: and like you said, it's been a while since you've been in this situation, but you, would you have been willing to sort of take a back seat in your own, I don't want to say creativity, but maybe in in the role of what you're playing in order to serve the greater good?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I think that's what I did all the time. Yeah. Coincidentally, I was also giving myself uh, great entertainment and uh, and an enjoyment in pulling something together. Recording it, sitting back, listening to it, and saying, "Yeah, that's good. That didn't exist yesterday. It exists now. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 great." Right. So I've had a, a great time at it, doing it, and yeah. and I I watch younger people today under these much stronger constraints. I think of what of expectations
2: mm-hmm.
1: that that we didn't have. You know, right. Nobody knew what the heck a progressive rock group was going to do. Right. And they didn't seem to mind. So long as we sold a few records, nobody seemed to mind. Right. It blows my mind that there was such,
0: there was so much artistic freedom and you could do all these things in the studio mm-hmm. and it was not cheap to record a record, you know, and you could experiment and you could do all of these different things. Now we have, uh, you know, we have never ending file storage and we can make any edit that we want and we can yeah. change everything and there's less and less and less creativity, but we have more tools to do it and it's a lot cheaper. We can do it for, you know, pennies.
1: Yeah. Isn't that tricky? That's a real paradox, that. It is. And if you find the answer to that, put <laughs> it on a postcard and send it to me in England. Because <laughs> it's a very difficult uh, paradox that we have more and more and more. Everybody can me- make a CD in his bedroom. And here's the problem. Everybody does make a CD in their
2: bedroom. Mm-hmm.
1: Now we have no critics. We have no value to the music because there's no nobody pays for it. So it's not valued. Right. Um, in that sense, it has no... Is, is less and less value in culture, so it's a difficult time. Difficult mm-hmm. time, no doubt about it at all. And drummers, of course, are adapting and amending like like they always do very well. And uh, I know you're a you're a, uh, a massively competent player, but you also do drummers' resource as well,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: right? So I mean, everybody has two strings to their bow, and maybe that's what it'll be like in the future. Sure.
0: Now, obviously, the idea of of music not being valuable is bad, but how do you feel about the how do you feel about the idea that, that anyone can create a record and that anyone can, you know, put something out to the, to the world without going through the vetting process, without going through a, a record label or a, a quote-unquote gatekeeper?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I, it, 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 makes, it makes life difficult. You know, it's more of a challenge. How on earth does anybody ever get hurt? Right. That's, that's the, the good guys as well as the bad guys or the guys who are not so good. How does anybody get hurt? How does anybody form a relationship Mm -hmm. with anybody else when everybody else is in a band or a musician of some sort? Uh, Difficult, I think. Mm -hmm. Very hard. I'm I'm a believer in relationships, musical relationships. You know, the Jagger Richards, the uh, Aretha, you know, and King Curtis. Those kind of musical relationships. Finding a partner, I think, is a great idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, If you're a rhythmic specialist, maybe you should have a guy who's a harmonic specialist or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the two of you, you know, bounce ideas. I like creative partnerships. I think they're great. And and if I was starting at the beginning, I'd go to where the greatest density of musicians is, probably Manhattan or Berlin or somewhere. Uh, Certainly not where I am in in the Surrey countryside. (laughs) Um, And I'd, I'd go and find someone in that greatest density of musicians. I think and see what everybody's doing then look for little little gaps that people have not covered or left uncovered little stones mm-hmm. under the rock people have left uncovered but it's hard I have no no magic uh, phrases I'm afraid right and
0: the idea of how you know how like you said how do people get heard it's there's so much information out there but no one seems to be any smarter than they were you know 15 years ago or or you know the you would think with the, the ubiquity of free information that everyone would be extremely intelligent, but I don't think any the intelligence of people has gone up much. I don't think, but I don't think it's gone down. No, I don't think so either. But you would think that with all of this information, you know, we would be able to, you can learn anything. I mean, you can learn anything. You can go online and learn anything for free, mm. which is an amazing thing. But mm-hmm. it just seems like, you know, it's all, it's all information, but not a lot of substance, I guess.
1: I think. I think what's partly missing in in the education of young musicians, if there was anything missing, is that I think it's probably slightly, as we were saying earlier on, slightly too much precedence given to technical ability rather than uh, the social stuff that goes on in bands. Mm -hmm. You know, the getting on with people, the the figuring out what's required, figuring out what the other guy needs. Right make his life great and of course that's the great thing you supply what the other person needs mm-hmm. but even you know it can take you a few years in the business before you even figure that out right and that should be rule number one you know often in in uh, music making and in your um daniel glass is it i yes. think was, yep. Yep. was talking i was just listening before you you gave me the call uh and he was talking a little bit about about how musicians work in bands and how drummers should fit in and what and, you know what band leaders want or what's mm-hmm. like being a sideman i mean that stuff is golden right in the sen- in the sense that uh, young people need to know that and i don't think they do generally they're kind of stadium ready which is a great <laughs> great phrase i heard the <laughs> other day. You, you know what i mean so a 19 yeah. year old guy picks up the sticks and knocks out the beat and then the next day he gets a call and he's in madison square gardens 20,000 seats doing right. the same thing pretty much, and he just missed out a kind of whole lifetime of musical experience. Mm -hmm. He therefore has very little to draw on or fall back on should the stadium band fall through or he he needs a a new gig. Right. Or even when he gets that gig, having the interpersonal skills to deal with with that. Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. The the Sort of the calmness when things go a bit haywire.
0: Right. It reminds me of these young, you know, when a young athlete gets into to play soccer or football or whatever it be, and they don't know how to handle it. They get on this big stage and they get millions of dollars, but they haven't, you know, and and professional athletes in the United States go through classes where they, how to deal with money, how to deal with, uh, with fame, how to deal with, you know, friendships and relationships and all that sort of stuff. And coincidentally... I went to music school and didn't learn any of that stuff and switched from music to business with a music performance minor. And I learned all of that stuff in business school. I learned. That's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. How to deal with people, how to have a conversation, how to get your point across, how to, you know, and that none of that stuff gets taught in music school, which, which blows my mind. That's like, I think the, the, and forgive me, I'm rambling here, but I, I think that playing is a given you have to be able to play so that's everyone has to play or everyone can play at that level and so the differentiator is your attitude how you deal with people interpersonal skills all these other things but no one talks about that
1: true and i think i I think you know you could ramp that up in any kind of music education because being in a one of these top level bands a, a really creative band is is a really fine kind of example of of intrapersonal, you know, human communication skill uh, and and making it work and being able to uh, derive satisfaction for all parties in this thing is really good. So, I mean, if you're in the Miles Davis, you know, creative groups of the 1960s, late 1960s, the Miles Davis Quintets or something, a phenomenally kind of gifted group of people, four or five people, mostly, sometimes sextet, I think, um, operating on such an incredibly high level of kind of give and take and in human interaction. And, you know, they often say, well, if the British government operated at such a high level <laughs> of interaction, you know, so so um, to take that example, of the Miles Davis groups, that's, that's an exemplar of creative interactivity and developing things and giving and taking all at the same time while on the spur of the moment. Mm-hmm. That's and we we need more of that and the guys yeah. with those skills will flourish. Mhm. Yeah,
0: that it's the it's sort of the uh the the idea of what what I think of like working out with someone who's stronger than you and you get stronger too. It's sort of, you know, bringing everyone along with you and and that that constant interaction with people and sort of the mentoring and and those types of things. Uh Yes,
1: yes, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That that all play into fostering better musicians or, or whatever it be. It could mm-hmm. be outside of, outside of music yeah. altogether. Yeah. Maybe the United States should take some of that, uh, well, you know, I mean, get I into mean, the government. The government should be doing the same thing here. So,
1: <laughs> I was just at a conference the other day about music education. Creative learning and creative teaching was the, or was creative teaching of creative learning, something mm-hmm. like that. The title of the conference. And they were just saying there is quite a bit of work now being done on that on creativity in musical groups mm-hmm. and you know, teachers and educators are not certain how to go about this. Uh, but just one quick obvious overview is that a musician should be thrown in a room with other musicians. That musician should lead those other musicians for two days and produce a piece of music mm-hmm. on days three and four. That musician should be thrown in the room with other musicians and receive, say nothing and receive only instructions from an alternative leader, feel what it's like, under direction complete right. direction for another leader days five and six the same musician be thrown in the same room and invent parts while others are inventing parts in other words mm-hmm. you are collaboratively and creatively collaborative creativity right so i mean right there there's three three levels of human interaction sure which entirely different and even though it sounds to you and my me very simple straightforward stuff and sort of thing that musicians often do uh, uh, in the morning in the afternoon and in the evening to younger players i think they don't, they don't understand that i think mm-hmm. well it's the idea you have to
0: you have to lead you have to be led and you have to be able to work with other people
1: yes you said it so much more succinctly than i did well i just I, <laughs> right I just i was i made i took
0: some notes while you were talking so <laughs> but uh-huh. but it's you know not to go into the into the business side of things again but that's that's how business is run. That's what you learn in business school. You learn all of these things that you need to learn how to be a leader. You need to learn how to manage people. You need to be able to, to work with people. There's no difference between that and and music, I don't think, except that music is is highly creative. But all of the the building blocks and and the concepts to me are the same. And I think that it I think that when people start to hear that that stuff and and I would love to get your opinion on it, it's sort of it sort of sterilizes the creativity a little bit. Or do they get scared that it will sterilize the creativity a little bit if you start looking at it that way or putting it in boxes almost?
1: Well, I think I guess there is a I guess there's a very small undertow of people who think somehow that if you examine something it'll go away. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean? You know, I don't want to be taught the drums because it's you know, it'll it'll spoil my endanger my sound or something that, well is that-, that
0: is an interesting thing i've had students tell me before that they don't want to learn rudiments or they don't want to learn from books yeah. or anything like that because it's it's going to they're they're a creative and and they don't want to ruin yes. that
1: i don't i don't know what evidence they have for that arriving <laughs> i don't conclusion. know either but there isn't really much it's it, that they, 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 they need to learn to change that being a musician and particularly a creative one involves constant change so mm-hmm. whoever you were, you know, on Monday, you're going to be a different kind of guy by the time you get to Wednesday. Right. And, 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 and change is fast. So adaptability, of course, but these are the great human skills, mm-hmm. you know, that work in any organization and without which any organization is dead on the rocks. Right. Yep. Uh, so so we're, we're, I think we're all agreed here that, that you know, improved human skills, yes. interactive skills are yes. are hugely important yes and some sense of where you're going some sense of where you derive meaning from your playing what's you know what are your red lines in the sand are the things that you're not prepared to do or things that you 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 love to do or do you how good at you are being in a situation in which you know for sure that you haven't a clue how to do this Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. think that's a very good thing for every musician to be i think twice a year and i probably have to me I would imagine twice a year I, I looked down at my drumsticks and I knew for sure I hadn't a clue how to play this thing <laughs> <laughs> and somehow you 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 get through somehow it's not as bad to other people as you think it is mm-hmm. um, it's such a important
0: part of growth I would never want to feel comfortable all the time
1: oh no no yeah. I think I think a degree of uncomfortability comes with the artistic endeavor
0: Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonic Clear Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonic Clear Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonic Clear Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. It's one thing to talk about how great Dream Symbols are, but it's another thing to actually hear them for yourselves. And the good thing about Dream is not only do they sound great, but they're also priced well below the competitor's prices, so that way you can actually afford to buy these Symbols. And if you don't think you can get a great-sounding Symbol at a low price, check out DreamSymbols.com. But first, I want you to take a listen to what these things sound like. To learn more about Dream Symbols, be sure to check them out at DreamSymbols.com. My friends, you may sit at the back of the stage, but the band revolves around you. Why? Because you set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set the tone is to play Evans Drumheads with Level 360 technology. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evans Drumheads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find your sweet spot. Plus, they take you way beyond the normal tuning ranges for higher highs and lower lows. Now, the sound you want will always be the sound you get. To learn more about Evans and their 360 technology, go to evansdrumheads.com. Now let's get back into it with Bill Bruford. I want to switch and I want to talk about this book specifically uh, because okay. I have I've, I've some questions about it. So when you when you first set out to leave drumming, get into academia, did you plan on, was this book always at, at, the forefront of, your, of the mind, or was this something that, that came as you started studying and as well, you started
1: learning? It's all sheer vanity, really. Um, <laughs> I I'd had a, an autobiography, which was pretty popular. Mm-hmm. It, it, it turned a lot of heads, and it was um, just called an autobiography. Very dull. Um, and that came out around 2009. So after 18 months of some quite nice things going on with that, and I'd enjoyed the process, and I had really no idea what an academic book looked like. Um, I kind of, uh, and I said it in the book, I was, I was offered an honorary degree at the local university. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, well, that's, uh, that's quite nice, but actually I've got a few questions. And the first question is, you know, why did I stop playing? I right. told you earlier on, yep. I finally figured out the answer to that. I said, I wonder if I could come to your university and kind of look around this topic of creative music performance. And in, in, in fact, perhaps performance psychology. So, you know, my, my book is somewhere at the intersection of creativity and, and creative psycho- and, and performance psychology, mm-hmm. those, those kind of areas. Um, could I come in? And, and so they said, they said, yes. And, and I started investigating and burrowing around. And then could I maybe do a degree in this, uh, a doctoral degree? And they said, yes, but you are going to have to get some research done. We're going to have to learn how to become a researcher. You're going to have to get some research and bring the new research to your work and tell us all about it. That's how it works. So I said, well, what can I bring? And, you know, it became fairly apparent that what I had is something that sort of magic word in research, which is access. Mm. So if you want to do a book on, say, what's it like being an American president, you're going to need access to 10 or so of the the last 10 presidents that are available as it were. Mm -hmm. And if you do have that high level access, it can be, you you can produce fantastic work. Right. And most musical research is done on students, you know, down the corridor from the professor. Why? Because they're convenient. They're down the corridor from the professor, uh, and or young professionals. And I, I had access to, um, top level guys Mm -hmm. who were working peak performance people. And, uh, I thought, well, I'll ask them what, you know, their perceptions of creativity and how, of course, off the back of that comes a lot of stuff about how you work with others and this stuff we've been talking about, intrapersonal skills. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a, a whole body of information from which to draw some conclusions, and, well, to, to, to draw some patterns, to so find some patterns and then draw some conclusions. hmm
0: and I, I remember when you emailed me, you said that you had, you know, you had sat down and interviewed a lot of people, Cindy Blackman, Peter Erskine, uh, yeah. Martin France, Mark Durliana, Dylan Howe. How, what were, what were some of the, what were some of the things that you uncovered that you didn't expect to uncover when talking to these people?
1: Well, oh, uh, I'm not sure I was expecting anything particularly. You have, that's another thing you have to do is leave any preconceptions and expectations aside. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think, you know, I think now that I'm out of out of that particular world of doctoral scientific investigation, I can say that some ideas, I I guess, and hunches were kind of confirmed. I think um, I think drummers are a lot more creative than they think they are, although they don't pursue creativity as um, an end in itself. They want to make things work. And they find in the making things work for other people a creativity. Um, They're they're very, very powerful people on stage. And they know that. But it's a kind of covert power. Uh, Nobody tells anybody, but we know, you and I know, the drummer can ruin everything. (laughs) And the drummer can make it great. I've I've done that multiple times. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, And of course these days you hear so much damn drumming because it starts at the beginning of any audio clip, more or less ends at the end. If, if, if it's popular music and there's a drummer involved, the drummer tends to play throughout, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And with as, as the harmony and melody is stripped back and you're left with the rhythm of the words and the rhythm of the drums, I mean, the drums are a seriously potent instrument right now. And yet, drummers position themselves and are positioned as... Um, uh, kind of a breed apart and a breed below. They, uh, you know, there's the old drummer's joke. And now why is that the case? And so my book goes into that in some, some depth, I think. Mm -hmm. And just to scratch the
0: surface, why, why, why is that? Is it because it's not a, a melodic instrument or is it because?
1: Yeah. I'd say that's it. Yeah. It's a pitched instrument bias, which you can perfectly easily trace through history. Mm -hmm. The old association of drummers and noise um, very old, mm-hmm. and and so drummers are, are the lowest of a species, not quite musicians, as it were. Right. In fact, the other day somebody came into my room and gave me, um, "Do you have children? Do I have children? I do not no. Yeah, okay. Well, there's a, a guy called Roger Hargreaves who runs, who writes a whole bunch of kids' books called Mister Men, mm-hmm. and there's the Mister Plumber, there's Mister, you know, Mister kind of um, booking agent, <laughs> Mister <laughs> Taxi Driver, and so forth, and there's of course Mister Noisy. And who is Mr. Noisy? Inevitably, he's, he's a drummer. A drummer. <laughs> see, so that, you, that it, you see how this gets passed to the next generation—that mm-hmm. they're not quite drummers. So, drummers live in a drum culture, and that culture has a psychology, and it's a very negative kind of psychology, mm-hmm. which drummers have to be aware of. What I'm saying is, be aware of these things, then you'll figure out how your reasoning, how your reasoning, and how other people are. Um, imputing things to you and why they expect certain things of you. Mm-hmm. Generally, they don't expect very much. And guess what? They don't get very much. Right. Generally, a producer says, ah, oh, just, just do that nice two and four beat that we always like, right? Mm-hmm. The guy says, sure, I'll do that. Not much is expected. He does it beautifully. Uh, a machine also could have done it beautifully the, because at that level, a computer is, uh, you know, it's easily it can easily replicate the human. So, um, that's part of where we're at with this. And how do we as
0: drummers change that internally? That that mindset or that negative? I, I
1: think a good start is to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. I think a, a good start is to be aware of why you are positioned the way you are and what it is that people are expecting of you and why they're expecting it and how that could be changed. Um, unless you're all going to become, unless we are all going to become band leaders, And indeed, I did do that specifically to control some of these wild elements about what may or may not be expected, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a luxurious position. Very few drummers are permitted to become drum leaders, as it were, and run their own ships. Although, interestingly enough, my nine participants all do do that. And that was one of their criteria for being considered expert drummers, is that they have produced music of their own in some sort of cd form for public consumption ah. on the that's why they're experts huh. um and they are all band leaders except one and i needed one to be just a studio guy because there are guys who don't pursue a solo career at all uh why because they you know they want to be studio guys so it's perfectly straightforward i didn't want to exclude that as a group of musicians So I have a a classically representative studio guy who just not interested in anything else other than that. Sure. So So that's, yeah. uh, No, go ahead. No, nothing else. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I didn't, looking through that list of, of the people who you've interviewed, I didn't think about that until right now, about that, oh, they are, they're all band leaders. And a lot of them have been side men. A lot of side men or women have, they've, you know, They've uh, done studio work. They've done session work and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, they're all, they're all band leaders as well. It's interesting. Yeah,
1: and even, ju- even in just saying that, you've put your finger on a good point, which is that, that by mid-career and peak performance, you will have done all of that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's almost no way, if you want to become an expert, there's almost no way you will have avoided any of that. Right. So you will have been the worst sideman in the world. Um, as I have been in my day, and, and go on up, hopefully, to, to learning from that, to learning what it is that you are about as a mm-hmm. creator and how best to bring it about under your own musical guidance. There is...
0: There, you're, this is something that's sort of stirring in me now that you're bringing this up that I didn't really think about. Two major bands that I played into my life, I started the first one, and the second one was my own solo project, and, mm-hmm. but there was another, I mean, I did the Sideman thing for, for seven years and never really enjoyed it because I never really felt like I had ownership, not from a business standpoint, but I just never felt like, I never felt that connected to it. And I think about that now. Like I would never want to go on some huge pop tour because I, I, I would feel like I was almost on mute and I'm not contributing to, to really what's going on. And it's interesting because now g- having this conversation with you, I'm thinking about that. Like, yeah, I've never, I never really enjoyed being a side man.
1: It's not. Well, there you found, you found that out then. Yeah. And, and, and that's all you need to do is to find out where you're positioning yourself relative to others in this music making thing. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a lot easier for others to be around, for, for you to be around others. It makes it easier for others to work with you. Right. Oh, this is the guy who does this very well. He's no good at that. Don't even think about asking him that. But this is you know, this is this is the guy we, we this is the nick that we want, as it were. Right. Right. And and, and that helps, but you, there there will be bumps along the way, inevitably. Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think I'd rather stay home than go sideman go be a side man. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's uh that's me. So Yeah. If I run through these chapters real quick, can you give me you know, a sentence or two to, to, to sort of summarize them.
1: Ooh, that's a horrible job to do. <laughs> think we can do it? A sentence or two to summarize them. Um, we'll go on. Yes. Okay. Right. I mean, I'll try and put some context on it anyway. Or just add, add some context because I, this book,
0: like I said, I've read, I'm a very slow reader. So I've been reading through it and it's, I can't put it down. And so I think this, this book is, is important for every single drummer to read. And so I just want to I want to build some context around
1: the well, book. Well, that's nice. Nice of you to say that. And it's it's also unusual because a book of this depth has not been offered to drummers before. But another way of looking at this, and I recommend this, is that you go to the index. You find something that intrigues you, like Peter Erskine, creativity in jazz, or something. Mm-hmm. You look up those pages and read those pages. Oh, you, see so what a, you can bounce around. A, you're saying a, a, a lot. Yeah, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to start at the beginning. This is not a storybook. Right. It's it's an academic book. And so there will be topics in it that appeal to you and others that don't. But go ahead. You were going to ask me about some chapters. All right. So action and experience. Oh, action and experience. Well, crikey. We are what we do. I don't really care what you tell me about your drumming. I care how you drum. And... Like any organism in the environment, you drum, you will get a reaction. That reaction becomes your experience. And you, that feeds into the next time you act is in creative action. Mm. I can't do activity theory, action theory for you even more simply in a podcast. Right. <laughs> so, no, that- so creative performance is seen as significant action.
0: Right. Uh, Sinton Roach, two modes of performance.
1: Well, uh, again, <laughs> you're uh, <laughs> difficult. <laughs> you're, you're, you're asking me to, to do a lot for you here. Um Roach. Uh, one way of looking at performance is, and I developed the idea of two modes of performance. One is functional, one is compositional. Functional is broadly speaking, very broadly speaking, the idea of making something go well or go better compositional performance very broadly speaking implies doing something differently so on the one hand you've got doing something well or better on the other hand doing something differently seeking to be different creativity is in here somewhere on one on the one hand Blair Sinter is a good you know Blair Sinter as a matter of fact yeah of course oh I I don't know I don't know you know you know him personally uh I do yeah and I've had him I've had him on the podcast as well okay great Um, Well, Blair's a a very good studio musician, and I use him as an example of of some very good creative functional drumming under direction. Mm -hmm. At the other end of the scale, you might say uh, Roach is a reasonable enough example of high-level creative compositional drumming. So there's a distinction between many people who are good at and operate under various degrees of direction on a continuum of control. They have some control, not all control, almost Mm -hmm. no control at all. Right. In fact, if you go to a tribute band whose only job is to exactly emulate the drummer of another band, you know, the Australian Pink Floyd, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, a guy called Paul Bonney playing the drums. His job is to absolutely avoid creativity. Nothing wrong with that at all. And bear in mind, none of this is pejorative. I'm mm-hmm. not saying any of this is good, bad, or indifferent. Sure. And whether I like it or not, it's got nothing to do with it. Uh, so Paul Bonney would probably avoid creativity. Blair is, in the example I give, very creative in a functional sense, Max in a compositional sense. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. We'll do one more. <laughs> well, well, really, there's four. I mean, the, the, the just... Just to preempt you, uh, you know, the book is kind of posited on the idea that, to, that for something creative to happen, four things need to be in place. One is you've got to select something. Mm-hmm. You've got to choose something. All art involves some kind of selection. Having selected it, you've got to differentiate it. You've got to make it different from the other guy in some way. Um, having done that, you've got to communicate it to someone and have it assessed as being creative. So there's kind of SDCA model in all this, and the four chapters that come up next, one is about focuses on selection, Mm -hmm. one focuses on making things different, one focuses on communicating things, and one focuses on why and how and what is being assessed, and for whom is it being assessed. Mm -hmm. So that's the broad skeleton of the book in about three sentences. See, that that was a lot easier. (laughs) Oh, God.
0: You're off the hot seat. <laughs>
1: uh, it's okay, but it's hard to, hard to do. Of course. Um, you know, in, in, and be entertaining in a podcast. Right, right. So the book
0: is called Uncharted Creativity and the Expert Drummer. It is out now uh, from the University of Michigan Press, and you can get it on you can get it on Amazon and all around the interwebs, and I have this copy of it that I want to thank you again for sending to me. Like I said, I can't put it down, and I'm a slow reader, so I'll get through it. Uh,
1: uh, through. Yeah, take your time. It's not you know, it's not all beer and skittles. It's a, it's a tricky book, right? And uh, I I learn a lot in doing it, of course. Um, and I'm currently doing some lectures around in the United States, funnily enough, uh, on the topic. Oh, are you? Uh, so maybe I'll see some of you guys around. Not the West Coast, though. Okay. I'm, I'm only doing the kind of university corridor due west of Boston. So, you know, I'm in Syracuse and Rochester and Buffalo and out to Cleveland and the Rock and Roll Hall of, Hall of Fame and stuff. And if you want to know where those dates are, they're coming up in April, April 8th to 18th, I think. And uh, about 10 or a dozen. And they are available at BillBruford.com.
0: And I will link up to that. I make show notes for every podcast, so I will uh, I will link up to that. So that uh, you can I appreciate find that. that. I mean, as well,
1: yeah. Some some of them are not available to the public anyway because they're they're institutions, you know. Okay. Okay.
0: Amazing, Bill Bruford. Thank you so much for one your contribution to the drumming world all of these years, uh, two for taking the time to chat with me, and three getting this book in my hands, which I think is amazing, and I can't wait to oh. to finish it.
1: Well, you. You're very kind, Nick, and I, I uh, recommend it. Um, what do I recommend? I don't recommend anything. I'm just sort of trying to make a contribution, really. I've always wanted to make a contribution to drummers. I like drummers. I'm not really very interested in rock or jazz or any other kind of genre, but I am interested in how drums are used in these genres.
2: That's an interesting <laughs> so really take my interest
1: on it. Is in drum, in, is, my interest really is in drums and drummers and why they do the drumming that they do right. rather than anything specific to do with jazz or pop sure. or rock.
0: Well, contribution you have made, sir. You're very kind. (laughs) And uh, again, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything that you've done. And hopefully, I don't know, maybe I'm originally from the East Coast, so maybe I'll catch you at one of these, uh, one of the the lectures that you're doing as well.
1: Okay, sounds good. All right,
0: Bill, thank you again.
1: Pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: There you have it. That was the legendary Bill Bruford, and that to me, that um, that conversation blew my mind. And when I got done the conversation with him, I was completely blown away, and it has resonated with me ever since. So I hope that you got a lot of value out of that. I hope that you really enjoyed it. For all the notes that we, for everything that we talk about, you can go to the show notes, and that is at drummersresource.com forward slash session three eight nine. And do me a favor, if you get value from this podcast, if you like it, if it has changed the way that you approach your playing, if it has changed your mindset at all, if it does anything for you, all I ask is that you share it and you leave a rating review on iTunes. That really helps get the podcast out there to everyone else, lets people know about it, and that way more people can get turned on to it and we can hit more people with all of these great conversations. So if you can do that, share it, leave a rating and review on iTunes. I would truly appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. I hope you dug this as much as I dug it, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.